Welcome to the Dad Strength Podcast, helping you take care of yourself so that you can be present for your people. The Dad Strength Podcast is an Unlearning Network production. My name is Jeff Gervitz. I am your host. I am your biological chronometer. And I like the ladies, if you know what I mean. And uh, what I mean is I support and care for them. So if you too, like the ladies, you may want to grab one who is close to you in your life to join you for this interview. You know, by virtue of what I do, I look at a good number of research studies, which is not the same as saying I understand everything perfectly, but I do give it the old college try. And one thing that I became aware of pretty early in my career is just how many studies either exclude or underrepresent women as test subjects. And one of the main reasons is that women are more biologically complex, at least from a hormonal standpoint. Uh, Drug effects might differ, for example, depending on where someone is in their cycle. And that makes research that includes women tougher and more expensive. I'm not saying this in a political way. The politics are kind of hard baked into it anyway. But what I can say is that we don't know women well enough in a scientific way, uh, in the way that we message not just drugs, but health over our lifespan. And one of these gaps, it seems, is perimenopause, which I guess we can translate as around menopause, menopause-ish. You know, because when a woman's period stops, it's not like there's a switch that gets flipped. There's a transition. And it's that transition that often catches people off guard, like my friend Amanda Thebe. Her confusion and distress before it was diagnosed was part of what motivated her to write Menopocalypse, which, um, in addition to being a great title, is a really accessible way for women and their partners to navigate this stuff. I wanted to bring Amanda on to help give us kind of a guy's perspective, how to really support the hell out of the women in our lives. Amanda is a lot of fun, and I have to say that this episode is definitely our current leader for F-Bombs Drop. Before we get into it, I want to shout out my sponsor, Othership. Othership is a guided breathwork app that is really just beautifully put together. You get to ask the question of how do I want to show up in the next few minutes and then calibrate your energy levels to fit the task. There is a structure within it that I have to say really works for me personally and in a way that meditation apps have not. There's enough structure there to keep me from drifting away, but there's a light touch so it's not overbearing and it never gets woo-woo. It's centered in experience and emotion, and there's nothing about chakras or astrally projecting or anything like that. And that makes sense because the whole thing really is innately grounding. You can get a free trial by visiting othership.us. I am also kind of obsessed with their physical space uh, here in Toronto, which you can uh, visit if you happen to be in town. Now for my interview with Amanda Thebe. Let's get into it. I'm a personal trainer, nutrition coach. been doing this three decades now for my since, 50 years old, and I've started talking about menopause in the fitness sphere because the conversation wasn't happening. And I felt like there was a huge gap there that needed to be filled because women crave information and they want to know what's going on. And we didn't know. Um, And it led me down the path of writing a book. I wrote a book called Menopocalypse how I learned to thrive during menopause and how you can too. And the idea of the book was really just to provide something that you would give to your best mate. I always think it's like your best mates use a manual so that they can sort of read it and go, oh, look, I'm not going crazy. Like this all makes sense. And 
essentially that's the type of feedback I get from when I've written the book. You know, they read it and go, oh, there's an aha moment there. And, and that can be quite liberating when you don't know what's going on. Do you remember when you noticed first that there was an absence of conversation around this stuff? Well, you know what? It sort of, I noticed something happening with my health. And then I was in limbo for a couple of years. And then when I found out the answers, then I realized there was this massive void. So I essentially, you know, I've always been pretty fit and healthy. You know, I've worked out with you. Um, and I always feel like I've always been a good representative of somebody my age, like a general population, like someone to look at and go, oh, look, Amanda's the same age as me. She can do it. Maybe I can. That's always been my like MO. And then I was at a boxing class and I was working out really hard and it was just like, I just needed to just like vent probably. And um, I got home and I just felt really unwell. And you know, sometimes when you've worked out too hard and then you just feel exhausted and you just can't work out why. Well, that happened. And then I got vertigo and then I started like vomiting, like projectile vomiting and it wouldn't go away. It lasted a couple of days. So I'm like, okay, it's a virus, you know, rest, whatever, you'll be fine. But then it kept happening and it kept happening. And then other things started to show up and I just got to the point where I was, my quality of life had changed completely. I started struggling with depression, something I'd never had in my whole life. Like the, everything that I was experiencing were like neurological stuff, like the uh, migraines, vertigo, depression, anxieties. Um, and then I spent two years in the Canadian health system, which is good. And I was supported by all these specialists and all these tests and not one of them made the association that this might be perimenopause. Like not one of them. They were like, we can see you aren't well. You look like shit, basically. So something's going on. Um, but they couldn't join the dots. And then I went to a, you know, an annual gynecology examination. And he went, tick, 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 tick. Yeah, you're in perimenopause. And I'm like, what's perimenopause? I like th this is nearly 10 years ago now. I'm like, I've never heard of that word before it's in everyone's talking about it now thankfully so we know a bit more but that sort of sent me down the perimenopause rabbit hole and I did it from a health perspective as in like the whole holistic picture like what does it mean for women what's exactly happening but then I started looking at the training and nutrition side thinking are there any specific things we need to be doing differently or focusing on as a result of going through perimenopause to menopause and so um so it was about eight years ago, I started looking, thinking there's about three people I can rely on to give me information. And there's about a hundred people who filled that knowledge gap full of bullshit. Like there's so much of it out there, Jeff. It's, it's like serious. You feel like you're fighting fires all the time. I think you've been a pretty good voice for common sense, but you know, this is a real problem in the fitness industry writ large. So what does the bullshit look, feel, sound like to you? Yeah, so it's, I feel as though it's people like me with a similar background to me, you know, Donali specialty, like fitness, nutrition certifications, because we know there's a lot out there that have all of a sudden become hormone balancing coaches. You know, that's all the functional medicine crowd who can fix you and fix your broken hormones and reset and your misfiring metabolism. And oh my God, it's just a headache. And at one point I started scratching my head and questioning it thinking, am I missing a piece of the puzzle here? Is it that these people actually do know something that I don't know? 
And I'd sort of spent three or four years speaking to medical experts, um, exercise physiologists, you name it, I spoke to them and I couldn't find the answers that they were saying. And then these just red flags, red flags just kept going up and up. And I was like, there's too many people stepping outside their lane. If you're a personal trainer and you've got a nutrition certification, that's what you are. You're not a hormone balancing coach because what does that even mean when your hormones are continually in flux? You're just adding noise and confusion to an already confusing time for women. And so that's what pisses me off, you know? Yeah, it's a pattern. I see, you know, this isn't a particular slice of the fitness industry that I know, but the themes are um, comparable to all kinds of other bullshit that I've seen. So let me ask you this, you know, I hope a lot of women are are listening, you know, and, and feel welcome here, but obviously this is sort of a guy-centered podcast. But, you know, I, I asked you on because we have partners and close friends who uh, may be going through this or who will go through this. And, you know, so I wanted to create kind of an idiot's guide for, uh, for the women in our lives. So, you know, what do we say? How do we approach this? What should we just shut the hell up about? You know, how, how can we, basically, how can we be great partners as we get into this? Okay, how long have you got? <laughs> so here's the thing, right? So... I think it depends. First of all, you're going to have two camps of women, those that have some idea of what's coming ahead. And then you're going to have those that have got no idea. I think the majority have got no idea because it's not a generalized conversation, is it? It's almost still got a little bit of taboo about it. But that's slowly changing. And so if you're um, a woman, if you're married or with a partner who's a woman and they have no idea, chances are you're going to have no idea either. And that was essentially what happened to me and my husband. And as an example, you know, I changes were happening to me that left me feeling bored with myself and really disappointed with life. That's sort of essentially it in a nutshell. And that meant I was bored of my kids, bored of my husband, bored of my job. And I just couldn't find any great quality of life anymore. And so that was how I was feeling, but I couldn't verbalize that to my husband. I couldn't tell him that, but they saw, my kids saw, my husband saw. And so for two years, essentially, until I had an an had answers, they were walking on eggshells. They were like, we're going to get scary mummy. Are we going to get like weepy mummy? Are we going to get normal mummy? They didn't know like who they were going to get. And I didn't know who I was going to be. And, um, and so, but my husband, I think, did all the right things. Like he, I think he always does all the right things as far as our relationship because he's such a compassionate person and I think that's the key, compassion. He could see things were changing with me and he couldn't work out why. Like he didn't know if it was a, our marriage was breaking down. He didn't know if it was something he did, if I was having an affair or like, you know, he just didn't know. Um, and so he did, he sat me down and just said, I need to help you, you're not the same, what's going on? Um, and I said, I don't know, something's not right. And I, and I just assumed it was him or kids on my life, right? When I actually started getting the answers to perimenopause and knowing what was happening, 
he turned around and we went, we went out for lunch afterwards. We were downtown. I'd just been to see the gynecologist and I said, oh, apparently I'm in perimenopause and I've got depression and my, I've got migraines and that's the reason. And he went, oh my God, thank God for that. <laughs> because he just felt such relief. It was, you know, quite funny, but also quite sad as well. That Like he'd literally, he'd really struggled for two years as well. We're at the situation now where I wrote a book and I got him to read the book and I said, you need to read it because it's personal and you're in there and I literally put my vagina on the line, our life and everything. Nothing gets untold because I can't tell half a story. And he was like, as far as I'm concerned, this is just data and it's information that can help other people and I'm okay with that. That's how I'm looking at this. And then in his job, he runs some, well, did run some sections of Scotiabank. He'd be sat in his office during COVID on these high-level executive talks with other CEOs going, hey, my wife wrote a book about menopause. Can I send you a copy? And he was having menopause conversations with men who needed to know for their wives. And it was so liberating for me to hear. And one of them turned around to him and said, I read your wife's book. I've started doing the workouts in it, by the way, because I do have a workout section. And he said, I think my wife's gone through perimenopause. So I sat her down and I said, listen, do you know that perimenopause happens to every single woman if she's lucky enough? Like, Because if you're going to be over the ages of like 38, 39, 40, for the rest of your life, you're either going to go through perimenopause or menopause. It's a fact. And he just sat down and had a factual conversation. He went, I read this book. This has really helped me understand. She read it and was like, oh my God, I'm going to go to the doctors. I'm going to start moving more. I'm going to start. Fo so I think just get an education, always the key, right? Getting informed, getting a good community around you, like have an open dialogue and just um, not avoiding the topic. And, and who knows what it's going to present like? That was the other part of your question. It might be lack of sex drive. It might be withdrawn. It might be, she might be in physical pain. Some of the symptoms of menopause are physical, like joint pain and, you know, bowel disruptions and heart palpitations. I mean, it, the list goes on and on. And so I think just noticing and talking about things with her um, and having the conversation. And if she needs to go to the doctors, maybe go with us, support her. Like it's normal and we need to just make this normal. What would you not say? What the fuck's wrong with you, you moody cow? <laughs> <laughs> if she asks you to put the bins out, don't say, why do I always have to put the bins out? I honestly just think that every conversation, if you're unsure, should lead with, what can I do to help you? I'm here for you. Do you want to talk? Do you need support? It's always that for every situation, isn't it? That you you know you need to help somebody. You go in it. You go into this knowing that you know there's probably nothing you can do, but it's always good to you know listen and be there for them. What has really surprised me about this is not that a lot of men don't really know about perimenopause. It's how many women are kind of caught on the back foot about this. I would, I would love if every woman pre-perimenopause, like in her normal state, could read about this so she's informed, whether from me or from anyone else. Like, I think that we know about puberty at school. We know about pregnancy from school. And we also have 
pregnancy, you know, clinics, you know, you've been there, right? We have loads of information and we have zero information about menopause at all. In fact, it's not in the school curriculum. It is in the UK now. They've, they've like pushed the um, mandate and it's been changed and added. It's just, it shouldn't be ignored, right? And so like if every woman could know what was going to happen to her, she can sort of start preparing for it. And I don't mean in like, like let's build walls and like sandbag everything. But I mean, like you can just... Um, notice changes and see how you feel and see if it's impacting your quality of life and know that there are things you can do out there. And then if your husband reads it too and reads information, well, then you can do it together, right? I don't know if it's a universal thing, but you know, when I think back to being a younger man, and I think this is common for young people to think of aging as basically like evidence of some kind of personal <laughs> character deficit. There's something wrong with you. Your attitude is wrong. And that's why you're aging. Do you think you went through that in your younger days? Like, were you ready for this? Of course, I wasn't ready. And I don't think any of us are at that age. I mean, I remember, I remember having a conversation when I was 18 about somebody who was 30. And I said, oh my God, I might as well be dead than be 30, you know, because 30 when I was 18 seemed so old, right? Really old. Um, and then even as I like moved through my 20s and 30s, I um, never sort of like worried about like aging because I just felt so resilient. I just felt like, oh, this aging's a piece of piss, basically. It's so easy. Like I can... I can do this. Um, and I had women that would train with me and I sort of like um, appealed to women in their like between 35 and 55. That was always like my main audience. And they would be like, oh, menopause is kicking my ass today. And I'd be like, yeah, yeah, whatever. In, in that type of dismissive voice. And even though like I'd be like, yeah, we can adjust things. Part of me is like, God, menopause, blah, 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 blah. But then I was like, Oh my God, when it happened to me, I was like, this is a thing. This, is, this isn't blah, blah, blah. This is actually something we need to pay attention to. And so I think it's really hard to appeal to younger people to say, you know, this is going to happen to you. You sort of like need to know about it because they're like, yeah, whatever. It's like so far away. And what's really interesting for somebody like me who is in their 50s now, I'm like, I'm menopausal now till I die, like, when I'm 90, I'm still going to be menopause. I'm, the state of menopause means without those sex hormones. And so I'm now living in a changed environment of my body. I have to work with that. And so, God, I think that's such a, a big deal to go through that and then not even have the conversation about it. It's, it's mad. But yeah, my younger self wouldn't have even joined those dots because it just feels untangible, if that makes sense, yeah. I think that we have such a misunderstanding of what motivation is in our culture. And so often there are other elements at play that uh, affect our energy, our drive. And we almost, we blame ourselves when this is happening in, instead of getting to the root causes. Uh, in this case, it's pretty deeply set in the biology of who we are. And so without really understanding that, it becomes just a big fucking hurdle, doesn't it? It's a big fucking hurdle. And, you know, one of the things that happens through perimenopause is women feel this like brick wall comes up all the time. You know, one day they'll feel great and then the next day they're racked with fatigue 
everything hurts, they've got migraines, you know, whatever, their mental health is being impacted. And the idea of like motivation is just such a far reaching concept that it doesn't, you know, enter their mind. And, and then you've got people like me jumping around on Instagram and they're like, how is that motivating? You're pissing me off because you've got all this energy. But I mean, I always come with a backstory, of course. And, and I think that the idea that motivation is like innate and it's something that everyone has and you've just got to access it is just, it's just flawed, isn't it? I mean, for me, motivation is I've been doing this for so long and moving sensibly, not even like in any type of crazy way, sensibly for 30 years, that I understand the difference between like not moving and moving on a day. Like I understand the difference it's gonna to make to my mental health more than even my physical health. So on those days where I literally had nothing in me, I would sort of say, do I have five minutes I can go out for a little walk? Do I have something, I'm not, not even going down the workout route, it's just essentially movement is like the thing that's gonna make me feel better rather than not moving. There were days when I was in bed and couldn't do anything, but so that, is how motivation is for me. It's those baby steps of consistency that you've just got to sort of learn yourself through sort of like experience, I suppose, right? Um, and so when it comes to like exercise for a lot of women, they're like, I'm not motivated. I've put weight on, I'm tired all the time. And I'm like, just do something, something. All or something is always my motto, not all or nothing. And I, I'm like, do this like small five minute, 10 minute, Here's a workout you can potentially do for 40 minutes or you can do five minutes. I don't care, but you'll feel better after doing five minutes than you'll feel if you didn't do anything. And so um, I think we need to move away from the motivation conversation and just give people skills to be able to show up consistently and it doesn't matter how that looks, right? Because as soon as you do, it's like a small win. It's like, oh, look at me, I did something. And, and, and like I said, like something's better than nothing. So that's how I approach my life all the time now, actually. Well, look, I'm a man. I'm, I'm a manly man. Uh, so this isn't something that I'm going to experience personally. However, uh, I do have a partner. And so I, I guess what I'm asking is, you know, wh how do I approach this? How do I talk about it? But, you know, I can't fix it. So what do I do? Right, so that's the key. You're not trying to fix anything. And I think that, you know, some of the toxic predatory messaging out there around perimenopause and menopause is the fact that your hormones are misfiring or they're broken and your metabolism's fucked and all of those things. And it's not. Your body's going through a natural process. In some stage, in some cases, actually, it's not natural. Like th after surgery, say, um, if ovaries are removed, it's a forced state. But, you know, most of the time, it's a natural process. And the body is going to go through some changes and through some adaptations. And the perimenopause phase lasts approximately 8 to 10 years. The average age of menopause is 51. And at that stage, the your your partner, your, the female in your life, her periods will have 
ceased for a 12-month period. That essentially is the line in the sand. And usually following that, things start to calm down over a two or three year period and she's in a new state of equilibrium, if you will. That eight to 10 years can be super, super challenging and different things can show up all the time. There's not one path a woman will take. There's not a comparable journey between women. Um, and so like, to me, it's just like, support the person, be educated, understand that things that you can do that are free really help the journey. So like, do walks together, work out together, like try and focus on your nutrition and stress management and sleep quality. All of the boring things that nobody wants to talk about are the things that will help calm your body down. You know, it will help like, you know, the metabolism like it normally is not, you know, normally is because I think that we have this idea that there's something off there's like a rabbit off like do you know that expression there's a rabbit off so there's there's something not quite right and so let's throw supplements at it let's throw all these gimmicky diets at it to fix it and and I'm always like bring it back to the basics because more than ever you have to do those basic things all the time you can't sort of let anything go and and it was it's quite challenging and when sleep is a great example when women struggle with insomnia, which is a, one of the most common symptoms, it's that spiral, isn't it? You don't, you don't sleep, so you feel like shit, you eat more, your cortisol's all over the place, you're a mess. Um, and so like, if you try and focus on improving sleep hygiene and, and sleep quality, women might try something for two or three weeks and think, well, it's not working, why bother? And we know that the circadian rhythm can take months and months to change. And so that's what I'm always trying to say to people. Stop looking for the quick fix, just do things all the time consistently that you can manage. Um, and that's how you're gonna support yourself. And that's how a partner can support like, his wife, right? Absolutely. You know, and it's not just men. I, I think, you know, as we were talking about women who have not yet experienced this also may not know what to expect. So for those folks, for those of us who, um, you know, we kind of have to rely on our, our partner's experience to understand, what's important not to say? Don't be using the blame game and, you know, don't try and mansplain things to your partner. <laughs> you know, um, go into it together, get valid resources. Like there's some great resources out there from the North American Menopause Society. You know, I, on my website, I've got tons of resources that are like science-based, evidence-grounded, you know, um, and sort of um, go through it like that way together. Things that you need to not do is go down the like peripheral sort of um, route where you're going to, let's do keto because keto works. Let's intermittent fast because that's the way, you know, stop looking for the gimmicks. Um, because even today, I read this article from some medical doctor and she was on the Today Show and she was like telling women how to eat during menopause. And, and it's bullshit. Like she's someone who shouldn't be trusted, but how would you know? She's got a Harvard degree in but she's literally gone down the woo-woo route, right? And so it's really hard to find valid sources, but like we know as professionals what nutrition does to the body. We know that you need to nourish your body. You don't need to be tricking it into doing like um, going to ketosis and you don't need to be starving yourself to do intermittent fasting unless you like that, right? It doesn't have any other benefits to a menopausal woman at all unless it's something she enjoys doing. But who enjoys giving up carbs? I don't know. And in fact, 
it's actually really interesting. Carbohydrates can be super beneficial to your hormonal health during perimenopause. We need them for that basic energy source, right? And then women will stop eating them because they've been told by some shill on Instagram that they're bad for you. And so, yeah, what to do is don't fall for the gimmicks, right? It's such a boring message I've got. Like I literally am on rinse and repeat. Do the basics. Don't fall for the bullshit. But we know that it works. One thing that's really beneficial for perimenopausal women is strength training. And since you're a strong dad, <laughs> this might be something that will appeal to the, the guys that are listening. Estrogen is intrinsically linked with our um, ability to build muscle. The muscle protein synthesis is impacted as estrogen sort of fluctuates through perimenopause and then eventually falls. Uh, that in alignment with just general aging and sarcopenia means that like strength training and preserving lean muscle is super essential. It's not just a, oh, wouldn't it be good to go to the gym? It's like, no, women need to be strength training to build and preserve any lean muscle they can. And not just for the health benefits that we know for like long-term disease, but purely because like we are at risk of osteoporosis in postmenopause because estrogen is a bone building hormone as well. So strength training's got you back with that. Um, it's also, we know it's tied in with like weight loss. And I know it, it's not the mechanism for weight loss, but it's a good thing to pair with, you know, a calorie deficit and also, so, so it's good for that. Um, but in addition to that, like women just need to take care of their overall health and strength training is a key part of that. So if there's anything you can do, get them doing full body functional strength training in a manageable way, like for the rest of their lives. And there's tons of women out there now me, my age and older that are shown you can still build lean muscle, but you've got to focus on like supporting muscle protein synthesis. So eat more protein, do more strength training, rest adequately. It's like, it's key and it's gold. So that's how you can support them. That's a great message. Kind of an unrelated question here. Your accent is, uh, it's Australian, right? G'day, spot. Crikey. I know you are. I can do accents too. I'm actually Texan, y'all. <laughs> well, you're actually fresh back from Texas, right? And just on the heels of them recriminalizing abortion, which is a mindfuck. Oh, fucking hell. So I'm English. I first left the UK to go to Boston. We lived there for two years. We then came to Canada for 15 years. I had a kid in both the US and Canada. We became Canadian, proud Canadians. And then we moved to Houston for four years and I've just come back. During those four years, Trump was president. It was literally like walking from paradise into the lion's den politically, you know, from Canada to Trump. Um, but we had a really good life in Texas, I might say. I lived in a pretty like, democratic liberal area. It does exist. But as we were leaving, just as we were leaving, the governor, the state governor of Texas introduced a couple of bills, one of them being the abortion bill, and it brought me to tears, horrified me, horrified me. I literally said on Instagram, I think, I've just left Gilead and I've moved back to Canada because it was almost like living The Handmaid's Tale. It's so wrong. And um, I also 
couldn't understand it because I came from the UK where abortion is simply a medical procedure. It's never questioned in a political sphere. It's just not in England. And obviously there's been some issues in Ireland over the, over the years from the Catholic Church, but the main part, I couldn't understand it and I still don't understand it. It's just plain wrong. Did you know that, uh, and I learned about this recently, there was a big meeting of evangelical Christians in the late 60s on the issue of abortion. And they got together for, uh, I don't know, it was like a week-long thing. And they did not have a consensus on it. And in, in the end, um, they a couple dozen of them sort of released a group statement saying, hey, we don't have an accord. Um, there are different perspectives on this, so we, we don't really have um, any particularly strong opinion as a group. And um, later on, they said, hey, you know, we think it's a Catholic issue, really. And it wasn't until much later that, you know, I think one of these think tanks uh, found that it could be a hot button issue. And Jimmy Carter, who was technically an evangelical Christian, but was also sort of an unambiguously good dude and um, cared a lot about equality, um, that was one of the first incidences of where they found, hey, if we push this, um, we can push our guy, which in this case was a twice divorced uh, ex-actor from Hollywood. And uh, that's how right-wing folks got the shift from uh, Jimmy Carter to Ronald Reagan. The alt-right evangelicals are the ones that support the state governor in this, but they're in the minority. Most Americans support abortion. That's what's crazy about this. It's the minority that he's appealing to, and he's appealing to it because I think he wants to become president and he needs that Trump base. Um, but when I left Texas, it was more legal to go into Starbucks with an open carry gun than be a gynecologist, than to actually be a gynecologist, which is insane. And then in the middle of all of this, you are. A long hauler. Yeah, so perimenopause kicked my ass. I fucking hated it. And then I get COVID while I'm in Texas, right at the very beginning, and then I'm a long hauler. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, literally, are you kidding me? And I sort of went through the same mental health issues with long COVID as I did with perimenopause. I was in perimenopause for two years without any answers. And then three months into long COVID, I wasn't getting any answers. And Obviously now there are, people are researching it and looking at it and it's so great that there's like attention towards it. But at the time I was like, is this all in my head? Am I literally failing at being a human again? It's really hard to feel positive when you just, I couldn't even walk up the stairs. I was like having to lie on the floor to catch my breath. It was shocking. I had really good medical care though. Um, I had good health insurance, you know, privilege and all of that. I had good health insurance. And my doctor simply treated me for post-viral syndrome, which is, is what long COVID is. It's a viral syndrome that the body's full of inflammation and it needs to sort of like get better. I saw a pulmonologist and gastroenterologist. I got thrown loads of tests at me and loads of medication and I felt really supported and I then did all of the lifestyle things that we've already spoken about. I just got back on the horse with all of those and I eventually got better after about four months and feel completely well now. But there are people with long COVID that are con continue to be sick 
like a year and a half in and it's devastating. And my inbox is riddled with emails from people because I did an article, I think for CBC at one point, and um, I think it was like a local Dallas station and this article's out there and it's just, people just relate to it. And I also think that when you're going through something, if you're vocal about it and you open up the vulnerability, you help people. Right. So that's sort of why I do it. It's not like, oh, look at me, you know, like Gwyneth did it. I was the first person to get long, long COVID. And so now do my intermittent um, or intuitive fasting book or whatever, you know, it wasn't like that. It was like this is happening to me and I'm being completely honest here. I don't know what's going on. And yeah, I'm in it with you type thing. And so, yeah, it was horrible. And um, I have very little tolerance for anyone who doesn't believe that COVID is real, doesn't support the science, doesn't support public health measures. I just have no time for it at all. There's another question I want to ask you, and I don't know how to phrase it exactly, but let's think about it this way. What is something in your life where you have refuse to be complacent about, you know, I think there's so many things where we get to a point and say that is good enough. How you drive, how fast you type, you know, uh, how well you listen, whatever it is. But there are things that I think are at the core of who we are as people where we say, I am never going to be satisfied. I'm going to continue to push. I'm curious about what that is for you. Um, it's a, such a great question. And I know we sort of touched on it the other day. We were chatting about the fitness world. And I'm, I always feel sort of lost with what I'm doing. And I know it's really odd that I'm coming up to be 51 in a couple of weeks. And I'm like, I don't know what I'm going to do when I grow up. Because I sort of get really exasperated and tired in the fitness and wellness world. And I think COVID has highlighted that. It's sort of underlined in red pen that we're really divided in that world, you know? So you've got the people that I really admire mostly are like just saying the same thing, you know, look after your health, do what the scientists are saying, follow public health measures. And I can help you with your fitness and your nutrition and I'm here for you and I'm here to support those health goals. And then you've got the, either the bro science or the wellness wankers that are all like yogis that are like my, bodies, my body's my temple, I can fight this coronavirus, it's no worse than the common cold. And it's, I'm like, literally aghast at the messaging that's out there from people that have got a hugely influential base that are being heard more than somebody like me. And I often think that like, when you're not controversial, and you're just putting common sense out there, you get lost in the noise that's happening. And in the fitness world, I think it's it's sort of epidemic. Um, and I've been really, really disappointed with it these last 18 months. Firstly, I'm sort of a bit exhausted talking about menopause. And I know we're talking about it today. But like, I don't want to just be the person that talks about menopause. But then secondly, I'm like, what do I really have left to give? I'm sort of quite tired now of the fitness world. I can do you a new program that's like 15 minute workouts and strength training programs that you can do at home and I'm happy to do that. But is that all I've got to give? You know, and so I actually do feel slightly lost because I feel like I'm not making the impact that I need to make because I'm not controversial enough. I'm just too sensible, you know? 
but then what do I do? Like, where do where does that take me? So yeah, I mean, it's a great question and I still don't have the answers. And in fact, we went back to the UK recently and I was sat down with my husband and you know he's a Harvard MBA grad and he's so practical and he's not emotional like me. Like I'm like, oh my God, I'm a waste of space. I don't know what I'm doing with my time. And he sat me down and he just said, stop making the decisions when you're emotional. Don't make any decisions. It doesn't make any sense. Realize that you've spent 18 months trying to promote your book and you've talked about menopause for four hours every day on every platform and that wears down on any, that would wear down on anyone. He said, so you need to take a step back and that's what I'm doing. I'm waiting till, I'm taking till the end of the year to just gather my thoughts and see what I feel feels appropriate. And, and he said, what you either go with the momentum that you've achieved, and I have achieved a decent amount of momentum that I could harness, essentially. Or he said, oh, you, you walk away from it. He said, because essentially, if you're not 100% in, you're 100% out. And he is, he is pretty binary, and I'm not. I live in the messy middle. But in this case, I think he's right, right? I think he's right. I'm either 100% in or 100% out, and I'm not there yet either right some wisdom yeah, yeah. Some wisdom in that. Uh, what city were you born in um it's called billingham you probably have never heard of it you know what billingham's famous for oh my god b-i-l-l-i-n-g-h-a-m billingham is famous for it developed one of the vaccines for covid it's a really small industrial town where ici was at the big industrial chemical plant so a lot of us Fam our families migrated there. So it's in the northeast of England. Chumbawamba's from there. How brilliant is that? Jamie Bell is from there. You know Jamie Bell? Um, he do. Um, Billy Elliot. Jamie Bell, my mum was his dinner nanny. My mum was Jamie Bell's dinner nanny. So we have Chumbawamba, the COVID vaccine, uh, COVID vaccine and uh, Jamie Bell. And there's something else it's famous for as well. So it's this particularly innocuous place that I never want to ever live in again, but it's got like a couple of... Uh... Oh, and they invented corn there. Q-U-O-R-N. They invented corn there, which was supposed to be like a vegetarian um, substitute, which they grow on trays like a fungus. Oh, you know what I wanted to ask you about? You know, we've spoken about this before. I have much love for uh, the series Ted Lasso. Has the show helped bring some love for Northern English accents over to North America? So I watched Ted Lasso, even though I want to say Lasso, but Ted Lasso, and I was a bit dubious and immediately fell in love with it because it's such a, it's the perfect pandemic show. It's perfect, isn't it? Like it's feel good. It's funny. There was one line in the show where the guy said, so if I get fired from playing football, I can take my boots and, up and put them in. I get the boot, take my boots and put them in the boot of my car. And I'm like, that's what I would say. <laughs> it's just so reaffirming. You know, I, um, it's one of the best shows out there. It makes me feel like British again, but it also makes me see all of the complexities that the US have over our crazy language. It's just the best. I love it. Interestingly enough, though, my family haven't seen it because it's not readily available in the UK yet, which is nuts. Well, it sounds like we've got some letters to write, some uh, 
<laughs> some wrongs to correct for. But before we do that, thanks a lot for listening. If you've made it this far, uh, big props to you. It means you are, you know, here for your partner. You're here to learn about this stuff and help them navigate perimenopause. Massive thanks to Amanda Thieb for coming on and sharing her experience and wisdom with us. Shout out to the Unlearning Network, to our sponsor, Othership. It's been a pleasure, friend. We'll see you soon.